0: Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia.
1: uh, I know it's December, but we are uh, continuing our November, uh, K-N-O-W, Vember series as we ask, as we answer questions that that you want to know, or at least some of you want to know. Uh, our first question was about how to make sure you're hearing from God, so we talked about that a few weeks ago. Um, for the last couple of weeks, we've been answering questions about Israel, uh, not just about what's going on there now, but about how Israel fits into the grand scheme of things prophetically uh, as, as foretold in Scripture. So we've been dealing with that, so we're going to sort of pick up where we left off in that conversation last week. So this is, this is part two of Israel and the prophetic timeline. Israel in the Prophetic Timeline. I had a question that was asked to me after last week's message. So I'm answering questions and generating more questions. This may never end. So uh, I wanted to answer it today really right off the bat because I almost addressed it last week uh, but decided against it for the sake of time. Apparently I should have stopped and done it then. So here we go. The question was, we talked about the rapture last week and we said that it's, it's not just a rapture but it's also a resurrection. So the question was, if the dead in Christ rise at the rapture, where have they been this whole time, right? Where are they if they're rising then? Have they been in some sort of suspended animation in their graves for all these years? And it's a good question. It's a good question and one that a lot of people want to know. Over the 32 years of ministry, I've had lots of questions about this. So on the one hand, we saw in 1 Thessalonians 4 and in 1 Corinthians 15, the rapture is this resurrection day for New Testament believers. But on the other hand, we have scriptures like these. We want to read a couple of scriptures today. So 2 Corinthians 5. It says, So we're confident, we're always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we're not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing, we live by faith and not by sight. Yes, we're fully confident in verse 8. We're fully confident we'd rather be away from these earthly bodies for then we'll be at home or present with the Lord. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Now, Philippians verse 23 in chapter 1 says, Paul said, I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which for me would be far better. And then in the next verse, it says that his other desire is to also be here to help them and lead them on in their faith. These scriptures make it seem like Paul expected to be immediately with the Lord when he died. So how can both be true? Well, most theologians believe that when believers die, our souls and spirits go to heaven, <clears throat> excuse me, go to heaven to be with the Lord, but then our mortal bodies lie dormant in the grave until the rapture. So many times in the New Testament Paul speaks of our physical bodies almost as if they're holding us captive from the reality of eternal life. So when we die, we immediately begin that eternal life with our soul and spirit in the presence of the Lord. And then at the rapture, our bodies are changed uh, from mortal to immortal, and, uh, and we meet the Lord in the air, reunited with our souls and spirits for eternity. I, I'm not aware of any scripture uh, that would even imply that your soul or your spirit just sleeps until Jesus returns. Okay, So if you disagree with me, as long as you have scripture to back up your opinion I'm cool with that, all right? Because here's the reality. Whatever God's plan is for after we die, that's what's going to happen. <laughs> so he's not going to check with us and make sure we all right. It's just going to happen. So uh, whether we understand it yet or not, uh, it's, it's coming, all right? So that I wanted to, to clear that up as much as I could. When we uh, left our discussion last week, we were in the seven-year tribulation period, which is an incredibly horrible time in which the wrath of God is being poured out on unbelievers, and Israel is also being severely persecuted. Now, I've found that there's a lot of curiosity around this topic, a lot of interest, but there's also a fair amount of anxiety about it. It makes people nervous when you start talking about it. Thinking about the end of the world, thinking about apocalyptic stuff uh, can be frightening. But I hope last week's conversation helped to alleviate some of your fears and some of your questions. End-time prophecy should not cause any alarm to the child of God. Okay? It shouldn't. As a matter of fact, as we saw in Scripture last week, the Bible said we should comfort each other with these words. Because we're not going to be here. Those who are following and believing in the Lord are going to be raptured out before the tribulation begins. And not only do we miss the bad stuff that's happening on the earth we get to experience some great stuff in heaven with Jesus. So today I want to talk about sort of the flip side of what we talked about last, last week about what's going on on the earth during the tribulation. I want to talk about what's going on with the followers of Christ while the tribulation is happening on earth, what it is that we're going through, so, uh, and then we'll wrap everything up hopefully next week. Uh, so sometime before February, we'll end our November series. Probably. Probably. Um, so Jesus comes back, raptures out those who are truly followers of Jesus, and the tribu- as the tribulation begins, and we get to go and be with Christ in our glorified new bodies. You, you ever wonder what our new bodies are going to look like? I'm holding out for like six pack of abs, <laughs> full head of hair, um, but that's just me. All right, so y'all do y'all believe what you want to believe. Uh, I want to read a couple of passages to hopefully answer that question. Revelation chapter 1, verse 12. The, the apostle John on the Isle of Patmos, he said, I turned around to see who was speaking to me, and I saw seven gold lampstands, and standing in the middle of those lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. You see that that's capitalized, right? He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire, and his feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves and he held seven stars in his right hand and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth and his face was like the sun in all of its brilliance and when i saw him i fell at his feet as if i were dead but he laid his right hand on me and said don't be afraid i am the first and the last I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. And he said, write down what you've seen, both the things that are happening now and the things that will happen. You say, well, John, that, that's exciting, but I thought we were talking about what we're going to look like. That's what Jesus is going to look like. Well, here's why I had to read that one first. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. 1 John 3 and 2. One second. So I think I can do this. He says, beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he appears, we will see him as he is. And we will be like him right? We will be like him because we'll see him as he is. What are we going to look like? What are we going to look like? We're going to look like Jesus. We're going to look like Jesus. Is that not amazing? What have we been trying to do on this earth for all these years? We've been trying to become more and more like Jesus, right? Well, our new spiritual eternal bodies are going to manifest physically what God already accomplished, what Jesus accomplished in us spiritually we will be like him for eternity it's the completion of the work of salvation remember Paul talked about being justified but also about being glorified this will be our glorified body and the salvation that we both walked in and hoped for will be complete amen so there are did you hear all that white hair stuff there's hope I'm just telling you there's hope um there's two events that will take place for us in heaven while the earth is experiencing tribulation. The first is found in these passages, and we'll we'll hit those Romans 14, uh, Romans 14 and 10. Says, so why do you condemn one another, uh, another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. All right, Second Corinthians 5 and 10. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we've done in this earthly body. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 11 through 15. For no one can lay any other foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Anybody who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what, what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, the builder will receive a reward. If the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved. But, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. You say, well, John, listen, that doesn't apply to me. I'm not building nothing. I'm just trying to hold on. What did Jesus say? He said to go into all the world and make disciples of every creature. He said in Ephesians 4 that our job was to do the work of the ministry. Our job as the body, not just my job as a pastor. So every one of us should be about the business of building the kingdom on the foundation, Jesus Christ. So for believers, what's next on God's calendar after the rapture is the judgment seat of Christ. It's not a judgment to determine heaven or hell because that's already been established by our surrendered relationship to Jesus. He took upon himself the punishment for our sins, which is hell. So those sins are gone forever. What the judgment seat of Christ does is reward us for the things that we've done since we've been saved based on the quality of that work. Some work Is gold and silver and precious stones. It's precious. Some is earthly and ordinary. God's fire is going to determine whether it stands or not. Those who've built on another foundation, other than, uh, than, than, or who have built on the foundation of solid uh, faith and doctrine in Jesus, will, uh, with clean hands and with pure hearts, will receive the reward of their good work those who were bogged down in strife and selfishness, those who were more interested in how it looked or how it made them feel or or who were focused on growing a church or an organization without regard for the kingdom, they'll watch their work burn up in the fire. Scripture made it clear, even even if all their work burns up, they will be saved. They'll just have no reward to show for it. And listen, I've been around Christians for a long time. And I know somebody's saying, John, listen, I don't care if I get any reward. I just want to make it in. All right? I, I, don't, I think that sounds good on the outside. I don't think that's going to be true when we're standing there watching everything that we claim to be doing for Christ burn up in front of us. And furthermore, uh, remember this is where you receive rewards. And I would assume also the crowns that are mentioned throughout the New Testament, the crown of life, the crown of righteousness, all all those that are mentioned. What are we going to do with those? Well, in Revelation chapter 4, the 24 elders knelt down before the throne of God and they cast their crowns at the feet of Jesus. I cannot imagine that we'll have any other reaction I think we're going to have the same. I think it's a very natural desire when you see the one who paid for everything we've ever done, for everything that we have. If we have anything still left in our hands, we're going to want to cast those things at the feet of Jesus. Can you imagine standing in front of him with this overwhelming desire to join the praise and the sacrifice and the casting of our crowns at his feet and have nothing in your hand? I don't think you're going to be satisfied just to make it in. You ever been underdressed at an event or unprepared for an event? I think it's going to feel like that times a million. Right? So what's the takeaway? John, what do we do about that? I'm not trying to bring condemnation. I'm trying to bring revelation. This is going to be a reality for us. So it should affect how we choose to live In the day-to-day because our eternity is going to be determined by how we approach. The rewards we receive in eternity will be determined by how we approach the opportunities we have every day. So what do we do? We store up treasures in heaven. What does that mean? You know, John, this some sort of competition. I'm trying to beat you and you're trying to... No. This is about doing everything you can possibly do for the kingdom of God because you love Jesus. Okay. So you you store up treasures in heaven. You give, you serve, you love generously and with no strings attached. It's just as much about the why as it is the what. Okay? Because there's a whole lot of what's that have the wrong why. Okay? Did y'all follow that? There's a whole lot of stuff being done in the name of Jesus that in the hearts of the people doing it have nothing to do with loving Jesus. And that's the stuff that's going to burn up. You have to check your motives before you do anything for Christ. Make sure it's actually for Him and not for yourself. Be humble. Be faithful. Be kind. Those are the things for which there will be a great reward. Now, at some point after the judgment seat, um, and now listen, This is I'm trying to do a timeline. This is not a deep dive into everything. So... I left stuff out, I know. Calm down, people. We can't do everything today, all right? So I'm just trying to give you the timeline and see how all this fits. So if I left out your favorite part, I am very sorry. I'll be back to it, maybe. At at some point after the judgment seat, we have an invitation-only affair to prepare for. And I want to read you that. The angel said to me, this is still the Apostle John, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words that come from God. Those those of us who've been raptured out are invited to attend this wedding feast. It's called the marriage supper or the marriage feast of the Lamb. A buddy of mine thinks it's going to be a Mexican buffet. I have no scriptures to back that up. You can believe what you want. I'm going for Italian myself, but I don't know what will be served. The menu has not been published yet, and I don't think that's the point, okay? Um, Jesus is the groom, and we are part of the bride. The the whole bride's not there yet because, remember, people are still getting saved during the tribulation, but we are a representative sample of the bride. And and I think um, that's why it says we are blessed to be invited to attend, all right? Remember, Jesus didn't rapture us out of the tribulation just because we weren't appointed to wrath. He wants us with him. All right, He wants us to be uh, at the feast. We're part of the bride of Christ, and the groom wants us with him. We, we aren't just raptured from something. We're going to be raptured to something, Amen. okay, to the judgment seat so we can receive our rewards and to the marriage supper of the Lamb so we can celebrate our union with him. Right, Jesus said I'm going to go and prepare a place for you and then when it's ready, I'm going to come back and I'm going to receive you to myself so that where I am, there you can be also. Those are words of a groom to his bride. Don't, don't you realize this, this whole deal, the whole story has been a love story. The whole thing's been a love story. He loves you. He loves you. I've gotten questions for years around, uh, uh, along these lines. Why did God create humans if he already knew we were going to screw everything up? I, I think we've known the answer for a long time. I think most of us memorized it in kids' church or in Sunday school. For God so loved the world. Amen. I think the answer is the indescribable, incomprehensible love of Jesus he just loves us. It doesn't make sense. Does love make sense? You can't quantify it. You can't analyze it. You can't figure it out. It doesn't make sense. He just loves us because he loves us. He wants us to be with him. He was willing to pay the price so we could be, willing to endure the pain and the suffering and the shame, willing to wait through the checkered and dark history of humanity to finally get us to the point where he could bring us up to be with him as bride and groom you say well I I don't know if the people on the earth during the tribulation are really feeling the love John probably don't feel like a love story to them but look at what he's doing yes he's pouring out his wrath on unbelievers which we deserve because we know better He's pouring out his wrath on unbelievers, but look how long he waited to do it. He waited millennia before he did it. He sent prophets and preachers. He even sent his own son to let people know that there was a different way. There was a way out. And even while during the tribulation he's pouring his wrath out, he's, what's he also doing? Sending out 144,000 Jewish evangelists. Sending out the two witnesses. Saving people by his word and his witness. Sending angels flying through the air preaching the gospel. Why? Because he loves us. He loves us. And the whole time, he still loves Israel so much, he's using the whole thing to persuade them to come back to Jesus as Messiah. Tribulation is not just judgment, it's also mercy. It's not just about trampling out the grapes of wrath, he's pouring out his grace and his forgiveness at the same time. What's his motive? What's his heart? God's love is the only thing that can explain it. That in the midst of wrath there's mercy. That makes no sense to anybody who's not as crazy in love with us as God is. God is love. And that doesn't stop just because he's also just. And even though and even though they rejected him as Messiah, look at his heart of love for Israel in the middle of all this. Zechariah 13:8 and 9 so I told you this is going to be terrible the, the tribulation will be terrible look at, look at the description two thirds of the people in the land will be cut off and die says the Lord two thirds um, but one third will be left in the land and I'm going to bring that group through the fire and make them pure and I'm going to refine them like silver and purify them like gold they'll call on my name and I'll answer them and I'll say these are my people and they'll say the Lord is our God his heart and purpose is to bring Israel back to the place that they're his people again and he can be their god. Israel's right in the center of everything that happens in the end times. That's why you can't ignore or turn your back on Israel. They're God's chosen people. He loves them as much as he loves us. Amen. So, let's let's get back to heaven and let's get heaven and earth back together. And finish out the tribulation. It's the end of the tribulation. The antichrist, the false prophet have broken their treaty with Israel. And now they're just just trying to wipe them off the face of the earth. They're just trying to destroy them. Uh, Through demonic influence they've assembled the the, the armies of the world uh, in a valley north of Jerusalem called the Valley of Jezreel or the, the Valley of Megiddo. The plan will be to destroy the city of Jerusalem and the Jews once and for all. That's their plan. At the moment the armies have gathered in the valley, the moment it appears that Israel will finally be destroyed, the moment of greatest despair in the history of the Jewish people, the moment of greatest stress in the history of humanity, that's the moment that Jesus steps into. He steps in. Having just celebrated the marriage supper of the Lamb with all the saints uh, of God, full of the goodness of God, Jesus will rise, return in glorious and triumphant fashion, and destroy the armies of Satan with a word. With a word. Now let me read it to you from several passages so you get the full picture. Zechariah 14, verses 1 through 5. It says, Watch. For the day of the Lord is coming when your possessions will be plundered right in front of you. I will gather all the nations to fight against Jerusalem. The city will be taken, the houses looted, and the women raped. Half the population will be taken into captivity. The rest will be left among the ruins of the city. And then the Lord will go out to fight against those nations as he fought in times past. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will split apart, making a wide valley running from east to west. Half the mountain will move north, half towards the south. And you'll flee through the valley, for it will reach all the way across to Azal. Yes, you will flee as you did from the earthquakes in the day of Uzziah, king of Judah. And then the Lord my God will come with all his holy ones with him. Matthew 24, the words of Jesus He said, and then at last the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens and there will be deep mourning among all the people of the earth and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Revelation 16, verses 12 through 16. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and it dried up so the kings from the east could march their armies toward the west without hindrance. And I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs leap from the mouths of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. They're demonic spirits who work miracles and go out into the rulers of the world to gather them for battle against the Lord on the great judgment day of God Almighty. Look, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Blessed are all those who are watching for me and who keep their clothes ready so they won't have to walk around naked and ashamed. And the demonic spirits gathered all the rulers and their armies to a place the Hebrew name with the Hebrew name Armageddon. Now, one more, one more passage in chapter 19, or two passages in this one chapter. Then I saw the heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head... Wore many crowns. Wonder where those crowns came from. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. And he wore a robe dipped in blood. And his title was the word of God. The armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen. Followed him on white horses. And from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God the Almighty like juice Flowing from a wine press. And on his robe at his thigh was written this title King of all kings and Lord of all lords. And verse 19 finishes the passage. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast, miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast. And who worship the statue. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse, and the vultures all gorged themselves on the dead bodies. This is the second coming of Jesus Christ. He's not going to come back to the atmosphere to call his children home like he did in the rapture. That was at least seven years before that. This time, he's coming all the way back down to where he left this planet 40 days after his resurrection. This same Jesus will come again just like he left. He is the, he's the culmination of thousands of years of prophecies, And predictions of longings and expectations. And this is how the tribulation ends. At his first coming, Jesus was a lowly baby in a manger. But at his second coming, he will be a conquering king. At his first coming, only Mary and Joseph and a few shepherds saw him. But at his second, every eye will see him on that day. At, at, his, at his first coming, he was mistreated and despised. He was rejected and ignored. But at his second coming, no one on earth will ignore him or doubt that this is the Messiah that Israel has longed for. There will there'll no longer be any doubt about who Jesus was and that he is who he claims to be. And at that time, the two different streams... Christianity and Judaism will merge into one pure faith as every knee will bow. Jew and Gentile, believer and unbeliever, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is both Lord and King. Amen? Amen. The week before Jesus was crucified, he entered Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And they cried out to him to save them. Remember, they cried, Hosanna, save us. Well, now Jesus has come back on a white horse and will set up his kingdom that they longed for way back then. And he will set up what's called the millennial reign of Christ, the millennial reign of Jesus. He'll rule the earth from Jerusalem for a thousand years, fulfilling the prophecy that a descendant of David will rule from Jerusalem. It will be a righteous rule with Jesus on the throne and all of us who followed him ruling and reigning on his behalf in different areas of the world. I'm planning to request to be the mayor of Clem. (laughs) Y'all do what you need to do. I think Buchanan's available, so if y'all want to go for that, that's good. Um, uh, I've had several questions about Gog and Magog, uh, a battle that's foretold in, in the book of Ezekiel. We spent a lot of time a few months ago... In Ezekiel 37, the valley of dry bones, if Ezekiel 38 and 39 talk about the battle of Gog in Magog. Gog will be the leader of the army in a land called Magog, which was an ancient people north of Israel. Some people think it's the it's part of the battle of Armageddon because there's a or maybe that it is the battle of Armageddon because there's a lot of similar language describing the events both in Revelation and in Ezekiel. But Gog and Magog are referred to again in Revelation 20 which is at the end of the millennial reign, not at the beginning, not at the end of the tribulation when the battle of Armageddon takes place. So there's some differences of opinion. It, it can't be entirely synonymous with the battle of Armageddon, at least from my perspective, because Ezekiel says it will be a surprise to Israel after some, uh, some time of peace and safety. And by the end of the, of the tribulation, it will be no surprise to Israel that, that armies are trying to kill them. All right. So it certainly won't be a time of peace, not for the last three and a half years. It could occur as the opening round of attacks at the midway point during the tribulation. If that took place then, um, it, some, it would make some sense and would help to explain the similarity of the language between Revelation and Ezekiel. If it's not at the end of the tribulation, some say it could, it could occur before the rapture. If that's the case, then the war they're fighting in Israel right now could be the beginning of it. Or it could just be another of the many, many wars that Israel has fought for its, its existence over the, over the many years that they've been in existence. So again, opinions differ. As long as you've got biblical evidence to support your opinion, then you just knock yourself out. Uh, the, 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 I don't think the point is to figure out exactly when everything's going to happen because Jesus already told us we're not going to be able to do that. I think the point is to be ready whenever it comes and the way you get ready is to surrender your heart and life to jesus christ right god knows what's on the calendar he's gonna make sure it happens when it's supposed to happen he ain't gonna ask for no help from us all right now next week we're gonna try to wrap this thing up as we talk more uh about uh, the thousand year reign of christ and then see what eternity looks like for us okay um i think we've had enough to think about today your brain's full you okay um, here's what we need to, what I want you to take away from today our faith will be rewarded at the rapture Okay. our work will be rewarded at the judgment seat our love for Jesus will be rewarded and celebrated at the marriage supper of the Lamb and our relationship with Him will be honored when we accompany Him back to earth for His second coming so where does that, where's that leave us for today Eternity matters. That's what I want you to understand. Eternity matters. The here and now is just a vapor. It's a vapor. It doesn't matter if you live to be 40 or 80 or 120. It, it's, it's a vapor in the grand scheme of things. It's easy to get caught up in all the hustle and bustle, all the stresses of life, but it's so much less important than it feels. There's a life coming that's endless. endless. And we have to prepare for that life more passionately than we do for this life. So many people spend their lives looking for love, looking for peace, looking for hope. Those of us who know Jesus, we already know that we found those things in him. He is our hope. He is our peace. He is our strength. And we have to devote our lives to living that message and sharing that message with everybody around us so that they can find the same blessed hope that we have we said it last week you have to live your life like there is a tomorrow and make sure that your tomorrow is with Jesus y'all stand with me please so they're going to sing one more song um, and we're going we're gonna to pray We'll be dismissed together in just a minute um, But there are people here with burdens That they need to bring to this altar If you want to respond to the altar uh, to, the, to the message today And just making sure that your heart is right with the Lord That you have truly surrendered yourself to Jesus Then that's, this is absolutely appropriate time to do that But if you just want to come and pray about any other thing That's going on in your life You're welcome to do that as well Okay, I'm going to pray, and then this altar is open. We'll sing this song together. We'll be dismissed in just a minute. Okay, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are, that you are preparing us for what's coming. Our finite minds can't wrap around everything that you've got planned for us. We may still have a lot of questions. But, but the one thing we can depend on is that you're going to walk through it with us every step of the way. And I pray, God, that you help us to pay more attention to what's what's eternal and what's going to last forever. That we pay attention to our motives. We pay attention to the reasons that we're doing what we're doing. God, I pray that you're glorified both now and in eternity by everything we do for you. Lord, draw everybody to this altar today who has a need, who has a burden that you want to lift, a need that you want to meet. Lord, a a, a heart that you want to minister to. And I pray, Lord, that that you would help us to find our peace and strength and hope in you. In Jesus' name.
0: We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a call at 770 537 3747. That's seven seven zero five three seven three seven four seven. 537 3747 At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.